Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360, a multidisciplinary medical information network. An estimated 3 million adults in the United States reported being diagnosed with IBD in 2015, according to the most recent data available from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Dr. Freddie Caldera is here to speak with us today about his session at ACG titled, What Else Do We Need to Do? Healthcare Maintenance for IBD Patients. I'm Dr. Freddie Caldera. I'm an associate professor at University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. I'm a gastroenterologist who has a big interest in valuing vaccine response in patients with inflammatory bowel disease. Could you provide us with an overview of your session, please? Yeah, so I was really excited to be selected for this because this is definitely a topic that I'm very passionate about. I have a master's in clinical investigation from our School of Medicine and Public Health and preventative care is very important, you know, because we can improve the lives of many patients of inflammatory bowel disease, but some of our therapies can increase the risk for certain complications. So by doing simply preventative measures, we can prevent that. So during my talk, I really want to highlight what the risk for infections are how we can prevent those with some vaccines, you know, make sure our patients are getting the appropriate cancer screening, and in reality, making sure that we're taking ownership for health maintenance in our patients' diabetes, because a lot of times we're their main provider. We don't have to be their primary care provider, but we need to kind of own the immunosuppressive medicine that we're prescribing them. So you mentioned some vaccinations there. What are the appropriate recommendations and timings for vaccinations? This is obviously a big topic for me. And one of the things I highlight in my talk is, you know, most patients with IBD can follow the regular adult immunization schedule. One, a topic that's been controversial for a while is who is responsible for recommending and administering these vaccines because you know, primary care providers have a very hard job. They have to be semi-experts almost on everything. And as providers, you know, the first thing we don't want to do is harm. And I've seen many cases where someone, young person comes in, they're on X biologic, and they get asked to take a flu shot. And they can ask a simple question like, will that make my IBD worse? And a primary care provider doesn't know that answer. And they may say no, and because of that, they don't get vaccinated. Or when should they get vaccinated, timing to their biologic? And at least we have guidance from the American College of Gastroenterology saying that gastroenterologists should be responsible for recommending and probably share responsibility to, responsibility to make sure these vaccines are administered. And this is a big deal because many studies have found that a provider's recommendation to be vaccinated leads to higher uptake. Because we know vaccines are safe in patients with IBD. We've done a systemic review and meta-analysis where we included the influenza vaccine, pneumococcal vaccine, hepatitis B vaccine. And patients with IBD have the same kind of 
events after vaccination, just like general population. You know, so they don't have a risk of flare and these vaccines are safe. And we know that patients with IBD are at increased risk for influenza. They can be at higher risk for pneumococcal disease. They're at increased risk for herpes zoster. Those are kind of the big three that as gastroenterologists, we need to kind of play an active role and make sure they're getting the appropriate vaccines. And, you know, now most of us have heard of a COVID booster, right? And, you know, we also need to be making sure that our patients are getting their booster. And if they have any questions about the safety or when they should get one, we do have recommendations from the CDC that you should be getting this new COVID booster. We have safety data saying that we're kind of seeing the same side effects after the vaccination where, you know, you might have a sore arm, you might have some chills, but, you know, COVID isn't going away. And our goal is not, you know, with our current vaccines, we can't prevent disease, but the goal is to decrease your risk of being hospitalized or having severe complications in COVID. And that's where like the new COVID booster, which is kind of like just a slight change in the vaccine that has the new Omicron strain, just like we get a new flu shot every year. That's something that you can be doing. Yeah, I think it's easy to see why that's so important. And you also mentioned cancer screenings. What are the appropriate recommendations for cancer screenings? So not all patients with IBD are at increased risk for colon cancer, but if they have involvement of the colon, we need to make sure that they're getting appropriate colonoscopies. And I think a gastroenterologist, that's something we're really good at because, you know, we do colonoscopies, so that's something that's always on our mind. I think making sure that our young women are having appropriate cervical cancer screening, that one can be a little bit harder and maybe we don't take ownership. But there's a recent population-based study, because for a while it's been controversial whether women with IBD are at increased risk for cervical cancer. And a new population-based study showed that they didn't see an increased risk for cervical cancer, but they saw an increased risk for low-grade lesions. Hopefully, you know, we'll see less cervical cancer in the future because we have a vaccine now that can prevent cancer. You know, how awesome is that? You have a vaccine, which is a human papillomavirus that can prevent five cancers. And, you know, when I talk to my young men and they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to get vaccinated, that doesn't pertain to me. And I'm like, well, it can cause penile cancer. You know, maybe you might want to prevent that. And as a provider, it's not only our young patients, 15 to 26, actually the human papillomavirus vaccine is now recommended from age 27 to 45 in those who may have a new sexual partner. And the vaccine works so well that, you know, even if you're going to have a new sexual partner, you can definitely get this vaccine that could prevent cancer. You know, so it's definitely something I like to recommend to my patients. And the last one is skin cancer screening. You know, obviously that's changed over the years where, you know, many people wear sunscreen. We have data from our patient IBD that thiopurines or azathioprine or 6MP can increase the risk for non-melanoma skin cancer. So we need to make sure that they're getting a skin exam from their primary care provider being referred to dermatology anti-TNFs may have a signal for melanoma, so those patients, and it's really the immunosuppression. So anyone who's immunosuppressed, 
needs to get some kind of skin cancer screening, whether that's annual or every two years, I leave that up to the dermatologist or primary care provider because everyone's a little bit different. All really good points. Definitely well said. We also mentioned osteoporosis assessments. So what are the recommendations for osteoporosis assessments in patients with IBD? So the reason we want to prevent osteoporosis is because a fragility fracture is a big deal. It's associated with big morbidity and mortality. And there are many people in the general population who have risk factors, whether they have a low BMI, they've been on corticosteroids before, they're a smoker, they're postmenopausal. There are definitely some risk factors for osteoporosis and osteopenia. But patients like IBD have unique risk factors if they're malnourished, they have a vitamin D deficiency, they've been on corticosteroids, or they have this underlying inflammatory state. While some of these risk factors we really can't modify, we can't make someone bigger, you know, we can treat their inflammation, but that's where we need to highlight the many ways we can try and manage or prevent or treat osteoporosis. And one of the most important ones that I think we don't make a big deal about is, you know, we can make, have them make lifestyle changes. If someone's smoking, they should, we may help them quit smoking. We should make sure they're doing weight-bearing exercises. So a young patient who's been on corticosteroids because their disease has been refractory and you're trying to get them in remission, once they're getting better, that's definitely something we need to highlight. Make sure they're taking appropriate calcium and vitamin D. And the biggest thing is we just need to do DEXA screening, where there are many studies showing that our rates for DEXA screening are pretty dismal. You know, And it's pretty simple. I don't think anyone's asking a gastroenterologist to treat osteopenia or osteoporosis, but at least if you find it, then you can refer them back to the primary care provider and say, you know, would you recommend X treatment? Now, how about psychosocial care? I think this is a huge impact and that we definitely seen it with the pandemic where many of our patients initially, since we didn't know what the risk from COVID was, you know, and I've seen some patients even become a bigger mental issue where I tell some of my patients, like I have one patient tell me IBD is an invisible disease because no one knows you feel bad because you look okay. You don't look sick. And I think sharing and, you know, I personally don't have have IBD, so I can't tell my patients I know what they're going through. But just acknowledging the fact that this is a sucky disease and it'd be great if we could cure them, I think that brings a lot because this can affect patients in many ways. One of the ways I try and get around that is I try to ask people what they love to do. And every time they come to an appointment, I ask them if they're doing that. And if they're not doing that, I try and find out why. You know, is it because their disease isn't as good, so they're not going to concerts if they love going to concerts, or they're not going out as much as they want. And this is where, you know, you're getting mental health help either through a health psychologist, a support group, an online group. I think a lot of my patients have found that very helpful. What are the gaps that exist in the research of healthcare maintenance for IBD patients? And what would you say is next for research? I think there's a lot of areas we could go and research. I think as we get more and more therapies, you know, we're going to need 
research highlighting how these therapies impact vaccine response, especially given COVID, where, you know, we're getting new therapies, but that's not a routine part of the um, studies are being done. And I think, especially if we start using these therapies as combination, that that's going to be something that really needs to be looked at. I think another important topic is actually disparities. So a lot of disparities research has been done showing that if you're from an underserved population, you're less likely to get the care as someone else, whether you have less visits to the doctor, more ER visits, more hospitalizations. We know in the general population that we learned from COVID that initial vaccine uptake wasn't the same if you came from an underserved population. So we've seen some of the same thing in patients with IBD. And I think what we have to work on is how to close that gap so that once you get on therapy, if there's a way we could prevent a complication, how do we make sure you're getting the same preventative care if you're from an underserved population as someone else? And we can't assume that the patient doesn't want it. You know, we need both quality improvement research. We need qualitative research to see, is it a cultural difference? Is it medical distrust? Is it, you know, many, many of the same reasons why people don't get the same care. So I think we have a lot of work to do in that area. And that's well said. What are the overall take-home messages from our conversation today? I think as gastroenterologists, we just need to play an active role. And just as much as we get concerned of getting our patients in remission, I think we need to play an active role in making sure that they're doing the preventative care that they need. So if they need to be getting a vaccine, you know, so for a long time, preventative care was not thought to be in the realm of a gastroenterologist, right? We were specialists and this is primary care. I think that has shifted and you can see many notes from providers where they have a checklist. And I think the checklist is a start where that's the minimum we should be doing. I think now we've gone to the era where we really need to own preventative care for our patients. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying we need to be primary care providers, but if there are certain things that they should be getting, we need to make sure that we're highly recommending or even doing some of the, these things for them. Well, Dr. Caldera, is there anything else that you'd like to add today? Anything that we missed? No, no, I'd just like to thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for your time.